We Christians tend to get uh, pretty excited about a good conversion story, don't we? Yeah, we love them for good reason, right? A good conversion story where we hear about someone who doesn't know or didn't know Jesus as Lord and Savior come to know and trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's a, that's a pretty big deal. That's pretty exciting, right? Well, that was less than convincing. I think it's pretty exciting. I love to hear those stories. Uh, let's be honest, though. Sometimes, maybe even most times, we really like the big ones, don't we? I mean, we really like to hear uh, about the, uh, the drug-dealing, atheist, gangster, redeemed by Jesus, right? The worst sinner possible who's redeemed by Jesus and comes to know Jesus, Lord and Savior. It really moves us. Our hearts race. Our, the blood pumps, right? And maybe when we hear an awesome story like that, we even think to ourselves, man, I wish I had a testimony like that about my conversion. Can I just tell you that is, uh, yeah, be careful what you wish for, right, Tommy? But can I tell you that that is very, very wrong? You see, I think that is very, very wrong because every single conversion story is dramatic. Every single one. And it's dramatic because of what happens in conversion. In conversion, God's grace, God's sovereign grace interrupts our lives and changes everything. And whether you uh, are the uh, drug-dealing atheist gangster redeemed by Jesus or, or whether you are the kid who, who grew up going to Sunday school and can't remember a time when he never believed in Jesus, your conversion story is absolutely as dramatic and exciting as St. Saint Saul, Saint Paul's, then called Saul in Acts chapter 9. Because every conversion is by God's grace and absolutely changes the life of the person who believes. Now, yes, we're going to look at Acts chapter 9 here, and we're going to look at Saul being interrupted by sovereign grace. And yes, there are some things that are very specific and very particular to Saul's conversion to follow Jesus. But in this, we see some things that are absolutely true for every single person ever who comes to faith in Christ. It is by God's grace, and it changes our life. So as we look here, uh, beginning in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, uh, Luke returns to Jerusalem, the, the, the scene of the major events so far in the book of Acts. This is where, in, in Jerusalem, is where the, the church is birthed on the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit falls. Peter preaches, proclaims Christ crucified and risen. Some 3,000 come to faith in that day. The first several chapters of Acts is focused on events in Jerusalem. Uh, the church is becoming more and more popular, so and that re results in persecution of the church. Uh, Luke shows us in Acts chapter 8 the, the spread of the church into the Samaritans. And here in chapter 9, we see Saul in Jerusalem still breathing out threats and still uh, breathing murder against the disciples of the Lord. It's not enough to have St Stephen stoned. It's not enough to, to be dragging uh, men and women into prison. It's not enough, as Saul says later on uh, in Acts chapter 22 and 26, it's not enough for him to vote for people to be put to death. Now he wants to spread the persecution to Damascus, and receiving permission from uh, leaders in the city of Jerusalem. 
he goes. And on the road to Damascus, Saul is interrupted. When we talk about conversion, when we talk about someone going from this position of not believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to believing in Jesus as Lord and Savior, the first thing that we have to talk about from a biblical perspective, we must begin by talking about God's sovereign grace. Taking Saul's experience here, some 150 miles northeast of Jerusalem, we see that conversion is first by God's initiative. To put it a little bit differently, perhaps we can think about it this way, before we ever consider Christ, he is considering us. Before we ever make a decision to follow after our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he interrupts us in his grace. Think about what Saul is doing, 150 miles from Jerusalem on his way to this city of Damascus. He's going because he's zealous for the Lord. He thinks he's doing God's work on his way to Damascus. And in fact, Saul was, as as John Stott has put it, he was in no mood to consider the claims of Christ. He wanted nothing to do with Jesus other than to see the followers of Jesus be stamped out. And so rather than seeking God, God in his grace was seeking out Saul. And when I say that, I can't help but reflect back on uh, parables that Jesus told, parables about a lost sheep, parables about a lost coin, parables about a lost son. Who does the searching? Who does the seeking? God here is seeking out Saul. And the one that God seeks, God finds. God is sovereign. That means that God rules over and above everything within his creation. And when we talk about conversion, it means that God in his sovereignty rules over and above conversion. It occurs when he wants it to occur. It occurs according to his plans, according to his timing, according to his purposes. God is the giver of grace, unearned blessing and and gift. And when we talk about conversion, God's grace means that conversion isn't earned or merited by effort. Conversion, faith in Jesus, is not a paycheck to be cashed. It is a gift that is given. And like any gift, in order to be received, it must first be given. We see this. Saul, uh, on his way to Damascus, accosted by the divine sovereign grace of God accosted by the light of the risen Jesus and the glory that is his. When we say that God, uh, that conversion is by God's sovereign grace, that he initiates it, when we say that, that, great, that God's uh, offer of salvation is according to his sovereign grace, this necessarily means that God at some level has exercised choice. Now I know that for some when we start talking about free will and we start talking about uh, God's sovereignty, I know that for some we start talking about God choosing that we get into sticky places. But I don't think that we can really get around the fact that God initiates salvation and that initiation is a choosing. A little bit later here in Acts chapter 9, uh, Jesus speaks to Ananias and Jesus refers to Saul as his chosen instrument of mine. 
In Galatians chapter 1, as Saul, now Paul, recounts his conversion, he writes, When he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, Jesus seems to indicate some level of God choosing when in John chapter 6, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. See, the the sovereignty of God, the sovereign grace of God in this idea of faith and and conversion is of utmost importance because what we really begin to understand is that our salvation, our our faith, uh, the same Saul becomes Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, says it's by grace that you are saved. It becomes dependent not upon what we do, but upon what God has already done and what God has done. You know, and if my salvation, folks, is dependent upon my ability to keep up my end of the bargain, I blew that a long time ago. I can't even keep up a bargain with myself. I go to bed at night, set my alarm clock, and say, I'm going to get up early and go run for four miles. And then I hit snooze. And then I hit snooze. And then it's time for me to get up and do other things, not run. So it's really important for us to understand that God takes the initiative. God interrupts life. God chooses and calls. All who ever believe are chosen and called by God. That's grace. That's not something to feel guilty about. It's something to praise God about. And that is that salvation is dependent upon him. And this makes every conversion story dramatic because it is the story of a life interrupted by God's sovereign grace. As this same Saul who becomes Paul in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, it is by grace that we who are dead are made alive. And that's a dramatic conversion. Every conversion story is dramatic because it's the story of a life interrupted by God's sovereign grace. And this interruption leads to a redirection of life. And as we look at this passage from Acts chapter 9, we recognize that as Saul was interrupted by God's sovereign grace, his life was completely redirected. His past, he was redeemed out of his past. His present was renewed by God's grace. And his future was redefined. By his own account, found in Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26, Saul was famous for being a zealous member of the Pharisees who opposed the followers of Jesus by locking them up in prison and voting to put them to death. By his own accord, in in the book of Philippians, Saul was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Saul had a past, y'all. And most of us in here do as well. All of us. But in the sovereign grace of God, Saul was redeemed, rescued out of his past. He was rescued out of his sins and murderous zeal, out of his empty works-based religion. By God's grace in Jesus Christ, Saul was interrupted and redeemed out of his past. He was born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
that God's sovereign grace redeemed Saul from his past, and in God's sovereign grace, Jesus rescues us from our past as well. He forgives us our sins and our trespasses. He makes us new, creating in us sons and daughters of God Most High. In the complete redirection of Saul's life, not only was his past redeemed, but his present was renewed. He was on his way to Damascus to seek out believers in Jesus, to take them back to Jerusalem, presumably for some kind of trial or punishment, imprisonment, maybe even a vote on their murder. But when Jesus interrupted him, when Saul was driven to the ground by the glory of the risen Savior, when he came face to face with an encounter with Christ, his journey to Damascus was given a new purpose. His present was renewed. Jesus said to him, rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. He went to Damascus after all, but there in the city, Ananias, a believer in Jesus and under the direction of Jesus, laid his hands on Saul and said, brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's not skip over that brother bit. Think about this. The persecutor of the church has now become a brother in the church. The one who would never belong and who, in fact, punished those who did was welcomed in as a sibling. And as Nancy read for us this morning, for some days he was with the disciples at Damascus. His present was renewed. God's sovereign grace redeems us from our past just as it did for Saul, and it renews our present. But like every infomercial ever made, just wait, there's more. It was a lot funnier when I thought about it. In the complete redirection of Saul's life, we also see that his future was redefined. What did Saul have in mind for who he was to be for the rest of his life? Was he just to go on being a Pharisee of Pharisees, persecuting the church, crushing them under his heel? We don't know because his future was redefined. Whatever plans Saul had for himself, Jesus had otherwise and changed them. Saul is given a new mission, a new purpose in life by Jesus. No longer will he be a persecutor of the church, an enemy of Jesus. Now Saul will be a missionary proclaiming the glory of Jesus. Jesus told Ananias, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And then Luke reports, immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues. His future was redefined. He was given a new mission, a new purpose as Jesus saw fit. Kurt Vonnegut's novel, Timequake, is about a series of people who have lost control of their lives. They have to live through a timequake in which they're forced to repeat and relive the same bad choices over and over again with no hope of changing anything. It's sort of a, a depressing Groundhog's Day if you've seen that movie. But the timequake does come to an end, and the people then have a chance to live their lives. But the problem there in the book is that most people are stuck in what is called post-timequake apathy. It keeps them immobilized by despair. They won't do anything. 
Kilgore Trout is the only one not stuck in this apathy, and he tries to help the others by saying, you were sick, but now you are well, there's work to do. That's conversion. That's what Jesus does to Saul. You were sick, and now you're redeemed. You are well, your presence is renewed, and now you have work to do. You're a missionary. Jesus redeemed him from his past and made him well. Jesus renewed his present and brought him into the church. Jesus gave him work to do as he redefined his future. Every person whose life is changed by the intrusion of God's sovereign grace is exactly the same. Every person is redeemed. Every person is renewed. Every person has a future redefined according to God's purposes. You see, conversion is necessarily about change because in it, one shifts the orientation of one's entire life, one's loves, one's worship, one's purpose, away from something and toward something new. And that something new in Christian conversion is Jesus. By God's sovereign grace, the life of a believer is redirected, redeemed out of the past with a renewed present and a redefined future. This requires two things in God's sovereign grace. First, conversion by God's sovereign grace requires a personal encounter with Jesus. This isn't necessarily going to be the the bright lights and the voices of the Damascus Road. God may work that way, but not always. A true encounter of Jesus, nonetheless, is required. Saul encountered Jesus on the Damascus Road, and this encounter was accompanied by blinding light. The Ethiopian eunuch, however, in Acts chapter 8, 26 through 40, encountered Jesus through the scriptures and Philip's explanation of Isaiah 53. The Samaritans of of, uh, Acts chapter 8 encountered Jesus through Philip's preaching, just as so many in Jerusalem had encountered Jesus through Peter's preaching, and so many more will encounter Jesus through Paul's preaching. The point is, God's sovereign grace to save comes through a personal encounter with Jesus. Journalist William Allen White wrote about his first meeting with Theodore Roosevelt in 1897. He met Theodore Roosevelt and said this, I had never known such a man as he, and never shall again. He overcame me. And in the the hour or two we spent that day at lunch, He poured into my heart such vision, such ideals, such hopes. After that, I was his man. If a human being can have this effect upon another, what might a personal encounter with Jesus do for us and to us? The second second requirement used by God's sovereign grace is quite often a process. I do think it's important for us to realize that while Saul was suddenly struck by light, his encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road was only the beginning of a three-day process for him. After the road, Saul spent three days in fasting, and I assume prayer, and the conversion experience was complete only when Saul received his sight, baptism, and the Holy Spirit. Of course, in his grace, God can do what he desires to do exactly when he desires to do it. It does seem, however, that God takes his time more often than not, and conversion is no less dramatic if it takes some time. In our bedroom at our house, we have two alarm clocks, his and hers. 
my alarm clock, uh, I'm a slow waker upper. I am slow to rise. And so my alarm clock is one of those fancy ones that slowly brightens, right? I wake up with light. And while it starts to lighten, the Tweety birds start to go off and everything. And, is, you know, it arouses me slowly. Anna, on the other hand, has the alarm clock that goes off and sounds angry when it does. I arise uh, as my alarm welcomes me gently into the morning. I take my time in getting out of bed in the morning. Anna's uh, alarm clock angrily disrupts her slumber, and she jumps right out of bed. Conversion happens both ways, folks. Every conversion story is dramatic because it's the story of a life interrupted by God's sovereign grace, and this interruption redirects life. A process of God's sovereign grace in which someone personally encounters Jesus and the course of their life is redirected, redeemed from the past with a renewed present and a redefined future. In seeking to be a church that glorifies God by blessing people with gospel ministries that they may believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior and join us in building his kingdom, we recognize that the churches, the capital C church's job is to help people encounter Jesus because salvation is only found in Jesus. And how will people know about Jesus if we don't tell them? How will Jesus, how will people be encountering Jesus on a regular basis if we don't take the role of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? If we don't take the role of Peter in the city of Jerusalem or Paul, as we'll see in his missionary journeys? God, in his sovereign grace, is the one who changes people's lives. But God, in his sovereign grace, purposes to use his believers, his people, to do that. He will and he does use us to accomplish his purposes, to make Jesus known, to grow his kingdom. The church's job, every church's job, is to cooperate with God by being willing vessels through which unbelieving men and women encounter Jesus and come to believe in him. But very personally, what about us today here in this space? Has your life been interrupted by Jesus? Have you been redeemed from your past? Has your present been renewed? Has your future been redefined? If not, why not? Why delay? Perhaps you've been on the cusp of belief. Perhaps you've been flirting with God's sovereign grace. Today is the day of salvation. Maybe you've resisted for long enough. Now is the time to surrender to the grace of God and have your life changed in Jesus Christ. We're going to worship the Lord through song here in just a few moments as part of our larger worship service. If you are being driven to your knees by the grace of Jesus, you can sit in your seat and pray, or you can come to the rail and pray, have someone pray with you. But now is the time. If you are face-to-face -face with who Jesus is and need to accept him as Lord and Savior, do not leave here today without having done it. I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. <laughs> Gracious God, that, uh, that applause is for you because you are the sovereign God who gives us salvation in Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that Jesus would be high and lifted up before us, encounter us with Christ, change our lives in Christ, be glorified through us in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and worship through song.